Hey, my name is Sarah. I'm one of the pastors here at New Community Church. So pumped that you are with us this morning as we kick off this new series called Don't Take the Bait. Did anybody recognize that little board game from the beginning? Yeah. Come on, somebody out there. What is it? It's Mousetrap. Yeah, this is the game that all children love and parents hate, right? There's so many little pieces and you end up losing them all over the place. But during this series, we're talking about things that entrap us, all these temptations that are constantly swirling around us that are, we just can sometimes seem like are easy to grab onto, right? They're bait for us to try to trap us. And so today we are talking about this idea that more money will make us happy. More money will make us happy. Now, how many of you in this room would say, I would love to be rich? I'd love to be rich. I'd take it. I'd take it. Be honest. Okay, yep. I always think of um, Fiddler on the Roof. It's Aaron's favorite movie, and if you've never watched it, um, it, the whole movie kind of circles and focuses on this character, Tevya, this Jewish man, and he's in this scenario where he's, you know, he's working really, really hard day to night. He's got five daughters that he has to take care of all the time and feed, and and uh, he's talking about money, and one of his friends says, money is the world's curse. And Tevye says, may the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. Like, just God, yeah, smite me with riches. I'll take it, God. I'll take one for the team. We would all love to be rich, right? So the question is, um, do you think you're rich? How many of you would say, you know, honestly, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty wealthy person, I think. I'm, I'm rich. I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, I got a few hands, all right, a few of us. We all would love to be rich, not many of us feel rich. So here's the question, what would you do to feel rich? What would you do for, say, $5 million? So there's actually a poll out there that polled people to see what would they do for $5 million. We do a lot of crazy stuff for $5 million, right? We have these kind of contests in our house all the time. Aaron will pose questions to the kids like, you know, if you had to you know, do this versus that over the years. And so this is, this is, these are real answers, real people who were polled. And 54% of the people polled say they would listen to country music for the rest of their lives only for $5 million. Now you can tell that they did not poll Texas because we're like, yeah, so what? This is normal for us. We always listen to country music. So this took place somewhere up north, you guys, for sure, or on the east or west coast. But only country music for the rest of your life, not a bad deal, you know. It might get old eventually, but... Um, then I, about 42% of people said they would have all of their teeth removed. Yeah, all their teeth removed. I'm assuming part of the deal was you can't get replacements, but like, you know, you're eating soft food for the rest of your life, but you're well off. No big deal. I don't know if I would do it. Here's a, here's a scary one. 50%, half of the people polled said they would allow a random person on earth to die if they got $5 million. That's scary. But let's be honest, I don't know where we sit in this room, but that was 50% of the people who were polled, and 24% of people said they would live in complete solitude for 20 years to have $5 million. No contact with the human race whatsoever, alone with $5 million. That tells you a lot about people, right? We would do a lot of crazy things for $5 million. Some of y'all are thinking right now, like, I mean, I would do some crazier stuff than that. Okay, but here's the question. Would $5 million make you feel rich? Most of you are like, well, I mean, yes, $5 million, it's a good start, you know, at least. But here's what's interesting. Um, there's actually different polls out there looking into what actually makes us feel rich. So I threw out a little poll of my own yesterday on, on Facebook, and here are some of the answers that I got. What would make you feel rich? rich? 
being at peace with God, knowing he supplies all my needs, good. Being debt-free, for sure. Making more money, obviously. Or this one, which, I'll be honest, came from my boss. Probably like $1 billion, maybe more. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we'll start with $1 billion. So what is the number that would make you feel rich? Well, this Gallup poll says it actually depends on how much money you make. Because if you're in the realm of making around 30 to 40K a year, so 30 to $40,000 per year salary, these people polled said, if I made $74,000, not 75, $74,000, I would feel rich, okay? And some of y'all are like, I make $75,000, I'm telling you, you don't feel rich, right? So then people who make $50,000 per year, $50,000 annual salary said, I think about 100K would get me there. Get me into six figures and I'm gonna feel rich. And then some of y'all are like, well, I'm, I make $100,000 a year and I'm telling you, you're not gonna feel rich. So here's where they went. They went to the tippity top. The top income earners in the United States of America, these are people who are millionaires, billionaires, right? And they said, at what point do you think you're rich or someone else is rich? And they said, $5 million in assets. Now, think about the guy standing there with $3 million in assets saying, I think I'd feel rich if I had $2 million more. It's crazy, right? Like, it's crazy that you could have that much money and not feel rich, but here's what this is all telling us, right, is that rich is a moving target. Feeling rich depends upon where you are now. And so we constantly, we all want to be rich, right? We don't necessarily feel rich. So where does this leave us? It leaves us chasing more. We're always after the next thing. Well, I think if I get to this level, then I would feel rich. If I think I get to this level, and I'm, you know, we've experienced this. I'm like, man, I thought I knew what money I needed until I had kids. And then I was like, oh, well, no wonder people have to make money because kids are expensive. And then you think, you know, once they're out of the house, oh, no, then the real fun begins. Then they get real expensive, you know. So, so I get it. You think you get to one level and you're going to feel it, and you don't. And so it creates this cycle for us where we're constantly chasing rich, and it leaves us unhappy. So on one side, we have culture saying, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Like, if you just get this thing that you need, if you just get this car, if you just get into that bigger house, you're going to feel better. And then you get there, and you don't. And there's a new thing to need. You have that. And then on the other side, we have over 2,000 scriptures in the Bible that talk about money. More than any other subject. Tons of scriptures about money. Why? Because God knew we needed it. He knew that this was bait that we were going to be really likely to take. So we're going to go to the scriptures this morning like we do every week because scripture shapes our lives. Scripture shapes our lives. This is the ultimate authority, the truth we build our lives upon. And so we go to the scriptures to find what is true and right. So we're going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 13 because believing that more money will make us happy is a trap. Believing more money is going to make you happy is a trap. And some of us would say that we acknowledge that. We're like, well, yeah, but it's a good start. You know, like, yeah, but, you know, life would be easier if I had a little bit. But I'm telling you, believing more money will make you happy is a trap. So let's go to Matthew chapter 13. And this is a story called the parable of the sower. This is a story Jesus told the people who were following him. 
about this farmer who's going out to sow seed, okay? So Jesus says this farmer's out, he's walking this path, he has his bag of seed, and he's reaching in, and he's scattering seeds. And he says, you know, there's these seeds that fall onto the footpath, and they really have no chance to grow. The birds come, and they pick them up, and they take off with them, okay? And then there's seed that falls onto the shallow ground right there on the side of the road. And this sprouts up really quickly, looks really great, but, but then it ends up dying really quickly because there's no roots. And then he says there's these seeds that fall among these thorny bushes, these thorns that come in, they kind of choke out the life of the seed. The seed sprouts up and the thorns, if you've ever had anything thorny in your, in your yard, you know what this looks like. It just kind of chokes the life out of everything, takes away the light and the water and everything that a plant needs to grow. And then there is seed that falls on fertile soil and it grows up and produces a crop for the farmer. Okay? So Jesus tells his people this story and the disciples kind of pull him over to the side and they're like, can you please explain why you keep telling these stories? Because nobody understands what you're talking about. And so this goes into a whole other conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about why he talks this way. But he says, come here, let me explain what this story means. And here's what he says. He says, the, the seed that falls on the footpath, this is people who hear the gospel message. They hear the good news about what Jesus has done about the kingdom of God, and they don't understand it. And so the evil one comes and snatches it away. It doesn't even have chance to grow. And then he says, the seed that fell on the shallow soil, these are people who hear the message of the gospel, and they're excited. They receive it with joy. But they don't take time to grow roots. And so as soon as the sun comes out or a wind comes along, that plant is ripped out of the ground and the faith is gone. Okay? And then when it comes to the thorns in verse 22, of Matthew chapter 13, this is what Jesus says. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. So what this tells us is from the very beginning of our faith, from the moment we hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus and we say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm giving you my life. Wealth is a temptation. It's a bait for us. And it is waiting there to just trap out the light and to take away the life of our faith. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. The worries of this life and the lure of wealth, it can trap us. But here's the thing. Believing that more money will make us happy is a trap. But wealth in and of itself is not evil. Okay? Because... You're rich, believe it or not. You are rich. Say that with me. I am rich. I am rich. Say it loud and proud. I am rich. Okay, you are. You are rich. Some of you all are like, you didn't see my bank account. I'm telling you, you are rich. Let me explain this to you, okay? After adjusting for the cost of living, Americans still make 10 times. The average American makes 10 times the average income of people around the world. We are rich. And I don't want to minimize financial struggles, okay, or what's going on with COVID, the difficulties that we face, or the destructive nature of poverty, because poverty is extremely destructive. But here's the thing. Poverty at its center is not a lack of resource. It's a lack of relationship. Poverty at its core is a lack of relationship with God, our creator, and understanding how we're created and who we belong to, a lack of relationship with ourselves and knowing how we're gifted, what God has created us to do, our purpose in life, 
and a lack of relationship with our community around us. Because here's the thing, if resource could solve the poverty problem, we wouldn't have poverty in the United States of America. Because we have 30% of the world's wealth in this nation right now. 30% of the entire world, think about that, 197 countries and one country has 30%. That's crazy. 7.9 billion people in the world and half of them live on $5 a day. If resource was our issue, we wouldn't have poverty, okay? But here's the thing, resource isn't our issue. We are rich. We are rich. So let's just think about this for a second. Go with me, all right? This morning, on your way to church, what did you do? You got up this morning. I got up this morning in a climate-controlled house, maybe AC, maybe heat, depending upon where you are right now in this crazy season, okay? I like my house cool. Aaron likes our house warm. I woke up, I went to a little tap that I turned on, it had water so I could brush my teeth. I stepped into a shower that had hot water that came out of the tap so that I could get myself clean. I got ready, I hopped into a car. How many of you took a car to church this morning? Okay, you're the top 6% of the world, people. Top 6% of the world has a car to take to church in the morning. We are rich. Some of you all, like me, stopped off at Starbucks and bought a coffee that cost almost as much as that, $5 per day that the person lives on around the world, right? We are blessed by God. We are rich. And here's why this comparison matters, because some of you all are like, yeah, 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 I've heard the stats over and over again. Here's the thing. Psychologists have actually found that when it comes to money and happiness, and these are not Christian studies, these are just normal studies, okay? When it comes to money and happiness, it's all about comparison. It's actually all about who you compare yourself to. Not a big surprise for us, right? But here's the thing. A study in Germany actually found that we naturally compare ourselves to people who are similar in age, education, and area, physical area to us, okay? That's who we naturally compare ourselves to. And they found that as long as you make more money than those people around you, you're good. You feel well off just the people around you, all right? And here's the real crazy thing to me, is they found that your income actually isn't the first factor. The amount of money everyone makes around you, that's the first factor. So if it actually doesn't matter how much you make, it matters how much the people you compare yourselves to make. So are you comparing yourselves to the Joneses in Mesquite or the Joneses in Richardson? Are you comparing yourselves to the people at work or to your neighbors? Who are you comparing yourselves to? The people down the row from you in church or somebody else? Feeling rich all depends upon who you're comparing yourselves to. So do you compare yourselves to the people here in Mesquite or to the 7.9 billion people around the world? It's all about our perspective. You are rich. And here's the thing. That's not a bad thing. Okay? That's not a bad thing. God is not mad that we have wealth. God is actually the source of our wealth. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says this, And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. It's a good thing to be rich. Okay, It's a good thing. God's not mad. God's the one who's blessed you with everything that you have. 
So why sometimes do we feel kind of like we have to hide it, like we're a little bit ashamed of it? You know, years ago, somebody blessed our family with a Suburban, like a, an almost brand new Suburban. Um, it was crazy. We literally, like this guy called us and said, come to this dealership, and we show up, and he gives us the keys to this brand new Suburban. And we're like, oh, my Lord, you know, this is, this is crazy. And guess what? Real quick, people got real jealous, and I got real ashamed. I literally drove this thing to a youth pastor's wives retreat, and I was the only one that had the vehicle that everyone would fit in, and everybody got in my car and got really quiet, and I knew why. They're thinking, how in the world is this youth pastor affording this new Suburban? And guess what I had? I I thought, I need to explain this to them so they don't judge me. Are you kidding me? We are blessed by God. It is not something to be ashamed of that we have to explain to someone else. You know why? Because I don't get the glory for that. He does. It is a blessing that comes from God, and we don't need to feel ashamed to be blessed. But soon after Jesus in, in Luke says this, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Because being rich is risky, y'all. Being rich is risky. It's not bad to be rich, but it is a risk. Why? A little later in Luke 18, Jesus is talking to a rich man, and he, he looks at his disciples, and he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying being rich or having wealth puts us at a spiritual disadvantage. It does. It puts us at a spiritual disadvantage. Why? Well, let's look at another story Jesus talks about, about a rich person in Luke chapter 12, a rich man who has this huge farm, and he's like, man, you know what? Talking to his buddies, like, I have so much stuff. I don't even have enough barns for it. What do I do? Well, first world problems, right? Um, And so what he says is, I think I'll tear down all the barns I have, and I'll build bigger barns, and then I'll store all that stuff, and then I'll sit back and be like, life's good. It's going to party, enjoy life. And God says to this man, you fool, you will die this very night, and then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. See, God isn't against wealth. He is for relationship with you. He's not against wealth. He is for a rich relationship with you. It's not about the money. He just knows that having money makes it more challenging for you to keep a strong relationship with him. Why is that? Why is that? Well, because money can distract us from what's eternal. Money can distract us. The rich man, he was just a steward of everything that he had. None of it belonged to him. He couldn't take it with him when he died, right? But what did he do? Instead of sharing that wealth, he literally just kept piling it on and piling it on. I I immediately thought of the stories that are in kids' books where the dragon dies in the cave on top of a big pile of gold. Like, that's what this man was content to do, was to die with this pile of stuff that he didn't use to the benefit of anybody else. It just benefited him so that he could be lazy and do what he wanted to do. I immediately think of the end of Schindler's List, which I won't ruin anything for you, but 
this guy's looking at his hand, and what does he say? Oh, that ring. How many more people could I have gotten out and saved because of that ring? Is that what the end of our lives is going to look like? God, help us that I don't get to the end of my life and go, Lord, what did I do with everything you gave to me? I piled it on myself. I got myself a nice house and a nice car and some nice stuff, and I could have done so much more to build your kingdom, to tell people about you. I could have bought Bibles through One Hope to go around the world to people who've never actually even heard about Jesus. I could have invested into homelessness. I could have done so many things, but instead I piled it on myself because money can distract us from what is eternal and get our eyes focused upon what we can touch and what we can feel. Money can also deceive us into thinking we are our own source. It can deceive us into thinking we're our source. What did Ecclesiastes say? It said, it's a good thing to receive wealth from God. From God. Say, you might think, I built my business from the ground up, or I bought my house with my blood, sweat, and tears. But here's the thing. Your blood, sweat, and tears were created by God. He created you. He gave you your body. He gave you everything that you have. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman in this world. Every good thing we have comes from God. And that should feel like a breath of fresh air. It's what Aaron was just saying. Like, I don't have to worry because I'm not the source of everything that I have. Right? Everything that I have doesn't depend on me and my hard work. Everything I have depends on God. He is my source. He's the one that everything good comes from. We can be enslaved. We can be enslaved by money. It can become an addiction in our lives. This is actually a new thing that psychologists are diagnosing people with is money addiction. And it might look a little bit different than you think. But in Matthew chapter 6, it says, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. So again, money's not evil. But we can get addicted to it. Like a lot of good things in our lives, we can get addicted and dependent on it. And if you think that's kind of crazy, stop a minute. Most of us know someone in our lives who's been an addict, right? Or you've seen enough TV shows. You know what an addict looks like. What are their behaviors? They have this need, right? They have withdrawal when they don't have enough. They're willing to sacrifice relationships or cross ethical or moral guidelines to get more of whatever it is they need. Doesn't that sound a lot like what we do sometimes for money, for more money? Whatever it takes to make more. I don't care if I get to be at my kids' baseball games or softball games. I I need to make more money. I need more money in the bank account. I don't care if that person at work gets mad that, you know, I stepped over them and took credit for what they did. These are the things that we demonstrate. And actually, sometimes it can look a little bit different. Psychologists said that it can show itself in our lives by spending excessively. Shopping addiction, anybody? Um, Online shopping, Amazon. Like, it can look like saving excessively. Thank you, Ms. Sharon. I'm with you. It can look like saving excessively. I got to have so much in my my savings account or I'm like jittery, like an addict. Like, I got to get more in there. Okay, it can also look like complete denial over my financial situation. I don't know how much is in the bank. I don't want to know how much is in the bank. Like, I'm just living it up over here. It's real. This is a real thing in our lives that we can struggle with. 
And here's the thing, if what matters most to us is temporary, we will always be afraid to lose it. If what matters most in your life is what you can touch and feel, you will live in fear of losing it. But if what matters most to us doesn't live in this world, if it is eternal, we cannot fear losing it. It won't go away. There's nothing you can do. And so if we actually invest into things that are eternal, if we spend our time, our money, our gifts, investing into a kingdom that doesn't belong right here on earth, we don't have to feel afraid. What have we learned over this last year in COVID? If not that everything we see and touch can be gone like that. We rely on power, we rely on water, and one day, gone. Man, we take so much for granted, but we also overcommit. We overlove and overneed things in our lives that can be gone in an instant. God wants to change our framework because more is never going to satisfy us. If our security is not found in this world, it cannot be taken away from us. And what we found, some of us, through this last year, is no matter how hard things got, we still felt joy. We still felt peace. We still knew it was all going to end up okay because our security was not found in what we could see. It was found in something more and someone more who had control over all of it. Place your value, place your love in your heart in what is eternal. Now, Way back in the day, I'm going to do a little flashback. I'm going to take you back in time, okay? Um, back when I was, whoo, I must have been 18 at that time, 18, 19, Aaron and I were dating. Our church not far away from here in Waxahachie had this thing called School of the Prophets. And what it was is they would give Sunday nights to five preachers who could preach for five minutes. They literally put a traffic light in the sanctuary and you had to watch for the yellow because when it turned yellow, you had one minute. And when it was red, they'd seriously kick you off. You didn't get to like wrap up. That was it. So you got five minutes to preach. It was the first time I had ever preached in front of anybody in my life. And I stood up and I preached from this chapter, from Isaiah chapter 55 and verse two. And here's what it says. Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. And here's what Isaiah was saying. Isaiah was speaking to the people of God, saying, you're spending all the time, you're eating all the time, and you still feel empty. Why? Because you're not spending on the right stuff. If you will invest into eternal things, if you will invest your time, your gifts, your money, everything that God has put you the steward over into something eternal, you'll actually feel satisfied. And what the people were doing is something equivalent to this. Now, I'm about to make you all mad if you're a Coke lover, okay? But here's the thing. I went for a run this morning, and if when I got back from my run, I drank this, thinking somehow this would make me feel not thirsty, it's not going to work. Because Coke actually has caffeine in it. And caffeine is a diuretic, children. And a diuretic actually pulls water out of your blood. So actually, when you drink Coke or caffeinated beverages, yes, like coffee, my heart hurts, it pulls water out of your blood. It dehydrates you, right? So if I want to hydrate, I actually need just good old-fashioned water, okay? Me spending all my day, all my time, all my money 
on temporary things and thinking somehow it's going to fill an eternal need in my heart, that's this. I'm going to drink it and drink it and drink it and never feel full and never feel satisfied because I'm trying to solve an eternal issue in my heart with a temporary solution. It's never going to work. What I need is eternal solution. It's, it's something more than what I can see and feel and taste in this world. That's what I need in my life. That's what you need in your life. It's not that money is a bad thing. We are blessed by God. Is that money should not have us. It shouldn't. It's not that stuff is bad. It's that stuff shouldn't have us. Nothing in our lives should matter more than this connection and relationship we have with the one person in the world we need, and that is our God. We are created with an innate need to connect with him. Way back in the garden at the very beginning of time, people were created to have relationship with him. It's what we need most of all. And believing that making more money is going to somehow fill some of that need and make us feel happy, it's a trap. It is a trap. It is bait. And we don't want to fall prey to that. So will you take a minute, will you pray with me, will you bow your heads and close your eyes? And some of y'all, you may be thinking, I honestly have no idea what it looks like to like invest in eternity things, internal things, because I don't, I don't even know if I really trust God with my life. I don't know if I trust God with my finances. I don't know if, if I actually, at the end of the day, if, if I'm following him or if I'm just kind of checking the right boxes and doing the right stuff. And so I, I want to pray with you. If that's where you are this morning, the first step to living a content, fulfilled life where you're not addicted to the more is giving your life, this, surrendering all of it over to Jesus and saying, I give you the driver's seat, Lord. I, I, I give you control. I will do what you tell me to do. I will go where you tell me to go. And so if that's you, I, I want to pray with you and all of us in this room. Will you just pray this prayer after me? I'm just going to help you with the words. But if words come to you, pray your own words to Jesus, okay? Jesus, I come to you. And I know I need you. I have messed up. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against other people in my life. And there is no amount of good that I can do to make it right. So come, Jesus. Have your way in me. Forgive me of the mess I've made. And make it new again. Renew my mind by the power of your word. I will follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yes, we can celebrate that. And then listen, I, you guys know I'm a practical girl, right? Every time I get up here, I say that. But I want to give you a couple practical action steps because this can be difficult. Money is one of the things that we just hate talking about. We certainly hate talking about it in church. But it's the top reason that marriages end in divorce. It's something that we just do not like to discuss. And listen, we're just not that kind of church. We're going to talk about things we don't like to discuss. We're going to get practical and real because that's where Jesus lives is in the practical and real with us. 
And so the first thing I encourage you to do is to pray and ask Jesus to just kind of audit your heart. It's not mess. It's messy. It's not easy. It's not like a box to check. But ask him to look at your heart. Do you have stuff or does stuff have you? Is there anything in your life that if you lost it, it would cause you some massive hurt and pain? Is there anything in your life that you honestly value above your relationship with God? Ask Jesus to help you with that, to evaluate your heart. And that's whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or five years. Ask Jesus to audit your heart and examine if there's anything there that is above him. And then I encourage you to get practical. Look at your plan, look at your numbers, and create a generosity plan. Listen, I I heard a lady years ago that said there was a time she had no money. She was a stay-at-home mom. Her husband was barely making enough money to feed the kids. So she started taking stuff off of her walls and giving it away. Why? Because she wanted to create a habit of generosity. So what this looks like in your life, I cannot tell you, but you'll know. You'll know in your heart. Create a plan to be generous. That's keeping money in your car to give away to someone when you randomly feel like that or whatever it is. If it's tithing for the first time, maybe you don't tithe. You don't give God the first 10%, and that's the way you can start showing him you trust. Create a plan for generosity. And if you struggle with financial issues, if you struggle with overspending, if you struggle with oversaving, if you struggle with just getting in denial and ignoring your finances over here, talk to somebody. Ask for help. It is not something to be ashamed of, and it's not something to ignore. Money matters in our hearts. It matters in our spiritual lives. And so reach out to a pastor. We have resources that can help. Reach out to a counselor. Reach out to someone that you know in the church or someone down the road from you and just ask for help and for prayer. And I want to just pray with all of us this morning. God, I know that I know that money is a divisive topic. It's It's something that people get divided over, but Lord, you are a uniter. And so, God, I know that when you challenge us to look at this topic, it's for our good. God, we recognize this morning that we are rich. We are blessed by you. We can be content in what you have given us because it is more than enough. And you are more than enough for us, Lord. And so, God, we don't have to walk in fear of losing what we have because it comes from you, and you are a good father who takes care of his children. So, God, come, restore our minds. We live in a culture that tells us one thing, but we stick by your truth, and we want to renew our minds by the power of your word. We want to live differently, God, because we want to show the world what it looks like to follow you, the peace the grace, the contentment that comes from following you. Help us, lead us, guide us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.